Welcome to Canvas, a show all about iPad productivity. My name is Fraser Spears, and I'm joined as always by Federico Vitigi. Hello, Fraser. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I just came back from vacation, and I'm ready to talk about workflow, because that's what I do. Uh, that's go, what we do here, yeah. That's what we do. We go on vacation, and we think about the workflows. Then we come back, and we do a podcast. That's basically yeah. Our, li- yeah. our lives. Um, <laughs> so for the final, ep- we're going to do the final episode of the, our workflow series, which started a couple of months ago at this point. And we went through all of the major topics of workflow. We talked about the app. We talked about variables. We covered uh, third-party app integrations. We talked about the web and APIs. Then we moved to advanced topics. We did uh, the first episode on advanced uh, workflow implementations. And today for our final episode, we're going to round up all of the things that we didn't cover, and we're going to do the second part on the advanced workflow programming. So we're going to talk about some topics that can help you uh, maximize your uh, usage of workflow and that can help you put together more advanced workflows for you know automation on iOS. So with that said, there's one important topic that we should discuss when it comes to putting together complex workflows, it's not just about you know dragging in some actions and running the workflow. You need to debug the workflow. You need to make sure that it actually works. But Workflow Fraser doesn't actually have a debugger. So tell me what is exactly debugging and how can we do that in Workflow? Yeah, you, you've got to go back to what you might consider traditional techniques of debugging, you know, uh, handcrafted artisanal debugging rather than uh, uh, any of this modern stuff to do with a debugger. Now, traditionally, or not traditionally, but in more modern uh, programming tools, what you would do is you would be able to stop the program and inspect the state of variables and things at any point. Workflow is a little more basic than that. It is possible, but what what we used to do when we programmed years ago was you would just write a print statement that would print out the values of, of the variables that you were interested in at various points during the execution of the program. And essentially with Workflow, what you have to do is you have to do something similar to that. Essentially add in extra actions that will show you visually the contents of something that you may have extracted from a list or downloaded from the internet or something like that. And that's the that's the key to understanding what's going on. If your workflow isn't working the way you expect, and the more complex they get, the, the less that's going to be true, um, what you need to do is put in one of several actions to show you what's going on. And Federico, the first one that most people get quite quickly is Quick Look. Yeah. which is a very easy way to see, a very, particularly if you're doing something visual, like downloading an image or something, using Quick Look is a, is a very handy way to see that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how to use Quick Look? Yeah, um, you may be familiar with Quick Look on the Mac. It's the system-wide preview system that you get on macOS when you hit the spacebar on any kind of file selection. And Quick Look is actually available on iOS too. Not a lot of people know this, but all of the system previews, uh, for example, when you open a document in mail or when you view a photo in messages, those are based on a universal system-wide preview framework, which is called Quick Look. And Workflow allows you to bring up a Quick Look preview uh, anywhere in, in, a, in a workflow you're putting together. So what you can do is you can take an input, whether it's you know a piece of text or a document or an image or a video, whatever, and you can use Quick Look to preview it. And the use case for this, I guess, was to make sure the users could, you know, confirm that an image, 
for example, was picked from the photo library. But when it comes to putting together advanced workflows, for example, let's say you're working with an API and you're expecting a dictionary, you know, some JSON to come back from a web service, you can use QuickLook to uh, force that input to be previewed as text, for example. So what I've done over the years, it's been almost uh, two years and a half that I've been using Workflow at this point, uh, every time I'm putting together uh, an advanced workflow, um, I use Quick Look in multiple places during the debugging process um, to make sure that I'm passing the right input and the right variables to the next action. And this is quite useful when you're, um, for example, when you're working with zip archives, when you're working with media, and again, when you're working, working with a web API and you need to confirm that a dictionary, for example, contains certain items, there's no easy way to do that unless you actually you know, proceed and test against a dictionary. Quick Look allows you to, as the name says, to quickly preview the contents of the input. And you can try it with any kind of content supported by the native iOS preview system, and you can try it with any kind of variable, any kind of action in workflow. There's one aspect that I wish um, was more similar to editorial, which is the uh, excellent text editor by Ole Zorn, which was updated just this week after almost two years for the 12.9 inch iPad Pro and <laughs> iOS 9 split view. It's got a odd release cycle. But anyway, what Editorial has, again, it has a workflow system, but it's different from the workflow app. What it lets you do is it lets you pause and preview an action. And I wish that workflow had this kind of option. Uh, because instead of having to drag in a quick look um, step, I would like to be able to pause an action upon execution and to be able to say, run this workflow, but when you reach this step, pause this action because I need to debug it. I need to make sure that the input is correct and I need to make sure you know, that some options are flagged. And this is one of the things that Editorial does really well and I wish the workflow had a similar feature. So maybe in the future we'll have, uh, we'll have uh, this kind of option. But for now, quick look is, you know, it lets you, it lets you preview any kind of variable, any kind of data, pass from an action to another, and I highly recommend that you use it in your workflows. Yeah, all of these ones that we're going to mention, Quick Look and some others, when you're programming your, your workflow, it's important to understand that whenever these views come up, the workflow is paused in the background until you dismiss the Quick Look view. So you, you'll get a, essentially a full screen view, at least on an iPhone, uh, and until you hit done at the top of that view, your workflow will not continue in the background, which makes it quite useful because it gives you a chance to sort of pause and think about what you're about to do next or where the next step in the workflow is going to go. So that's Quick Look. And then the second one that you can use is called View Content Graph. We've mentioned the Content Graph before, but this is a way in which um, you can look at what workflow knows about the data that you're passing around. So if you, before a particular action, you view the Content Graph, you can see both what, kind of content workflow thinks it's got and also what kind of content it can turn it into. So if, if you ever get into a situation where workflow is not able to automatically convert your content between uh, or your data between one type and another, have a look at the content view graph and see if there's some reason why what you think you're getting is not actually what you're getting. And Federico, I think it's fair to say that that's quite a useful thing, particularly if you're extracting information from, for example, JSON dictionaries, that what you might be getting out of that conversion is not always what you might expect. Is that right? Yeah, um, the content graph action allows you to really 
take a peek under the hood of Workflow and its entire engine. So you can uh, you can see how different file types relate to each other. And in my experience, that's been especially useful with text and with formatted text. So rich text from Safari, for example. Uh, with the content graph, you can see how rich text can actually be converted to plain text or to HTML or to PDF. And it shows you all of these different ramifications that, uh, that a single data type can take inside workflow. And it allows you to understand how workflow thinks um, how it converts between data types, how it converts between file objects and file formats. And you can understand then that, for example, a Safari selection uh, cannot become an image because there's no way, there's no connection between text and image. But you can, you can do rich text to HTML to Markdown or you can do rich text to PDF, for example. So it lets you understand the all of the different connections between file types and formats but it also shows you the limitations of workflow and what you cannot do so it's a using the content graph action i think it's a great way to start thinking how the workflow app thinks so you can know where the boundaries are and you know what the what kind of connections can be made between variables it's a little more on the programming and you know advanced side of things but when you're dealing with a lot of variables in a workflow and when you're dealing with a lot of conversions you will want to you will want to check this out especially for text and i would also say for dates because it's a great way to understand how you can you know combine multiple pieces together and go from a, from a text string to a date and then maybe i don't know to a to doist action for example because you can use a date string in the in the date uh, in the date field it's a it's a great way to to view visually really uh, all of these connections in workflow and and when when you look at the view content graph results what you see is a number of circles with lines connecting them and if i'm understanding what you're saying correctly if there's no connection from one thing to another then you can't go directly from that type to the other type is that do yeah, i understand you right, right. That? Yeah. yeah yeah that's right you okay. can you can view all of the steps and you can tap on a circle and you can view uh all of the items contained inside so for example rich text may contain pdf html and plain text which means this single data type can actually be converted to these other data types it's really cool and it's really it's advanced but it's basically you can you can open the engine and take a look at what's going on. Cool. And uh, so the last one that we're going to mention is it, it seems like the dumbest one, but there's a really good reason for using this one, <laughs> and it is the one called Show Alert. And very simply, what it does is it throws up that iOS dialog box that everybody knows right in the middle of the screen with you know black text on white and an OK button and a cancel button. But that's the reason why this is important is because it's got that cancel button. Whether, if you use Quick Look or if you use View Content Graph, what happens is that those uh, those actions will run and they'll show you their contents, but then your workflow will continue and continue and continue. So if you're if you're inspecting, for example, the first item of a hundred item list, you're not going to get the opportunity to stop because it's just going to keep throwing up Quick Look after Quick Look after Quick Look, and you won't have time to hit the stop button in between times. The thing about Show Alert that's really powerful is. Uh, if you hit cancel, the workflow will then stop. So it gives you a chance to, if you are trying to debug some part of a long-running iteration, 
it gives you a chance to stop the workflow but without having to dismiss 100 or 200 or 300 uh, quick look views uh, as you go through your your uh, workflow. So it is a really dumb but useful thing because yeah. it has that opportunity to cancel. Yeah, when it comes to uh, workflows that you want to quickly test an action, then stop and start over, you will want to use uh, show alert. Um, it's possibly one of my most used actions in workflow whenever I'm creating for CloudMax stories, for example, and I have a request from someone and I need to make sure that you know this variable works. I drag in show alert because it you know it can be cancelled. It's a it's a huge time saver. So yeah, yep. I use it a lot. Just, uh, it's probably worth mentioning that there, there's one that's not that may, you might think is useful for debugging, but isn't always as useful, which is uh, show notification, and that's something you can do. I don't know if you've ever found a use for that in debugging workflows, but um, mm, that's, that's one a good that idea. It, it won't stop your workflow as it as it goes. So if there's something where um, the timing is somehow important in your workflow and, and if you stop it with a quick look preview then it won't work in the same way or something like that um, you can you can also use throw up a notification as, as another way and of course those notifications can be rich so you can put in there things like maps and, and videos and photos and things like that as well um, so that's another way to do it but I have not found that to be as useful as the ones that actually stop your workflow and let you look at it and think about it and then continue afterwards yeah that's a good idea um, cool so next, uh, I want to quickly mention um, the ability to encode media in Workflow. This is very good action for, uh, very useful for uh, manipulating media files, as it lets you work with audio and video. Uh, and it, you know, it's if you're working, you know, if you're producing media on iOS, whether it's a video or you're dealing with audio because you're a podcaster, for example, this is a useful action to have. Um, it, with Encode Media, you can extract the audio track from a video, for example. You have a video, you just want the audio. You can turn the video into a single audio track. You can convert an audio file uh, to different formats, like MP3, M4A, or um, AIFF. Uh, do people say AIF to pronounce I that I would for say me? AIFF, but this could yeah. be a GIF-GIF situation here, so yeah. don't email me. <laughs> and I know you can also do other things to a media file, uh, Fraser, with, with this action. Uh, like you can yeah. change the timing, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you, you can you can speed up or slow down, or you, you, uh, there's there are presets for half speed 1x, 1.5x, and I think 2x, going off the top of my head here. Um, but you can actually change it to an arbitrary multiplier as well, so you can, you can put it to 1.2x or whatever. If you want to burn that into the file, say you need to... Uh, for some reason, make an audio file that is double speed or half speed, um, you can just do that right there. And you can also set metadata as well. So if you have an audio file, you can set things like the author and the uh, the artist and the track name and things like that, yeah. right from that from that yeah. workflow item. I'm, I'm familiar with that because um, I've been using a workflow. There's going to be a link in the show notes um, to encode audio to MP3 directly on iOS, um, we uh, we have a Telegram channel uh, on Mac Stories where in, in the past few months I haven't been posting audio clips as much. But uh, I have a, a Shure uh, Lightning microphone. It's a tiny microphone that I plug into my iPhone and it lets me record uh, audio snippets, audio clips with a, with a, you know with a decent quality, much better than the than the built-in iPhone microphone. 
Uh, but what the um, Shure as a as a microphone and a dedicated app, it's called. Uh, uh, the microphone is the MV88, uh, and it has the you know the official Shure app from the App Store. Uh, but you end up with this huge audio file that I don't want to post on on Telegram because it's several several hundred megabytes usually. So what I want to do is I want to encode it down to MP3 because it's lightweight because you know there's no uh, terrible loss in terms of quality and it's you know the file format that allows me to have the little uh, the small inline player in Telegram. Um, but I don't want to use a dedicated audio app on iOS because I can do a workflow. So what I do is I have this workflow that receives a file. So what I do in the Sure app, I just use the opening menu on the on the selected audio file and I run the workflow extension. The workflow extension calls my encode audio workflow, which takes the file, use the, uh, it uses the encode media action to encode it to MP3. But besides that, it allows me to apply metadata to the file. So I can add an artist name, which would be my, my full name, because I'm the author of the audio recording. It lets me add a ear uh, to the metadata. And most importantly, it allows me to add uh, an artwork. So I fetch an image from iCloud Drive, again, thanks to Workflow, which has a native iCloud Drive support. I fetch this JPEG image, which I'm going to use as the, as the album artwork for this audio recording. And the encode media action can take this image variable and use it as metadata for the audio file. So what I end up with is this MP3 with metadata inside. So you can inspect the file. You're going to see my name as the author. You're going to see the current year. You're going to see the album artwork. And then I can use the opening action to send it back to Telegram. And you know, people who subscribe to our Telegram channel will see this audio file with the proper artwork, with the proper author name, and they can listen to it in line. And it takes me 30 seconds. And it's all done with workflow. No need to use a dedicated you know, uh, audio application on iOS because of a single action and because of the integration with the, with the rest of the system and with iCloud Drive. So it's very awesome. That's very cool. Yeah, there, there are certainly lots of ways you can use that. Another way I've seen people use it is um, there are workflows where you can download videos from YouTube. And one of the ways I've seen people use this is to download a video from YouTube, maybe of a, of a lecture or something like that, and then just extract the audio file, convert it to MP3, and then save it to, you know, um, what's the name of that service that lets you make your own podcast up? Um, it's a Huff Duffer or something like that. Um, or even in Overcast, you can actually upload it. If you're a, if you're a, pa- a patron of Overcast, you can upload it directly into Overcast as well. So and there are a couple of ways you can use that as well, which are quite interesting and useful. This week's episode is brought to you by Pingdom. Start monitoring your websites and servers today at pingdom.com slash canvas. You'll get a 14-day free trial, and when you enter the offer code canvas at checkout, you'll get 20% off your first invoice. Pingdom is focused on making the web faster and more reliable for everyone who has a site. And they do this by offering powerful and easy-to-use tools and services. For example, if you're a Pingdom user, monitoring the availability and performance of your server, database, or website will be a breeze. Pingdom take care of this by using more than 70 global test servers that emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as every minute. Because these days websites are becoming more and more sophisticated and often include several dependencies, such as contact forms, e-commerce checkouts, logins, search functionality, and loads more. 
So Pingdom makes it possible to monitor all of these key interactions with your site because it's not just about the whole site anymore. It's just about certain parts. Stuff breaks on the internet all the time. And every month, Pingdom detects around 13 million outages, which is more than 400,000 a day. So regardless of whether you've got a small website, complete infrastructure, it's super important to monitor availability and performance. All Pingdom needs is the URL you want to monitor, and they take care of the rest. When Pingdom detects an outage, you'll be immediately alerted so you can fix the error before the downtime affects you, because you don't want to be caught out when someone wants to access your site. So you need Pingdom. Check it out today and you'll be the first to know when your site is down. So go to pingdom.com slash canvas for a 14-day free trial and use the code canvas at checkout to get 20% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and all of Really FM. So I'm going to tell you about one of my favorite recent additions to Workflow. This and is so those, cool. those are the rich lists. Um, you've been able to choose from a list in Workflow for a long time now. There's a Choose from list is the name of, of the action, and it's been around, I'm pretty sure, since the first version of the app. But a few months ago, Workflow gained the ability to display richer lists uh, that go beyond just, uh, you know, text buttons. So it used to be that with the choose from list, list action, you could prepare a list of items, like, for example, apples, bananas, and oranges, and display that as a native iOS list, which will be three textual buttons. But just text. You couldn't have icons. You couldn't have any sub-labels. Uh, it was just a single string of text. Now, with version 1.6, which came out in November, I think, um, the choose from list action now accepts a wider selection of data types. And you can have these richer lists that, uh, let uh, allow you to see more of a single item in the list. And I'm going to give you some examples. Uh, so besides photos, which you can you, you were already already able to do in uh, in workflow as a list, you can now, for example, search the app store and given some app results, um, you can display a list of apps, and each item in the list will have the icon of the app, the name of the app, the developer as a sub-label, and the price. So instead of having just the name of the app, which is what used to be uh, before, now each item of the list, each button in the list, has an image, text, sub-label, and another label on the right for the, for the price of the app. You can do the same with locations, for example. If you perform a, a search query on maps inside Workflow, you, you can return a list of places, and when you pass that to the choose from list action, each item will have the name of the location, the address, and the distance from your current location. And again, contacts. Uh, you can show pictures and the company name alongside the full name of a person, or you can even do songs from iTunes, for example. Uh, you can show the album artwork, you can show the song name and the price. If, you know, there's people who still buy songs on iTunes. <laughs> so this is very cool because it, it, yeah. lets you, 
it lets you take the uh, the richness of data types in workflow, which we mentioned again when we talked about the, the content graph. This is what I was talking about because each item contains multiple data types. So a song actually contains the image of the artwork, the price, the name of the artist. You know, there's a whole bunch of metadata, and with the two, the new tools from Realist Action, you can take this metadata. And workflow automatically displays a much better, much richer list. So it's more intuitive to choose items and it's easier to spot an item in the list. It's very cool. Yeah. I think you should remember back a few a few episodes ago we were talking about all the different items in workflow where you can say get thing and then get details of thing. So all of yes. those things that have details like photos and songs and apps and everything like that, iTunes store results and so on, all of those have got such rich metadata that they are good candidates for picking with a rich list because they have all that extra information. And Workflow does a great job of pulling out the most useful things to identify each each individual one uh, based on, on what that metadata is. Yeah. And you can even go a step further uh, if you want. Uh, you can take a dictionary uh, that you maybe, I don't know, that you either put together manually because there's a way to assemble dictionaries manually. If you uh, use the get dictionary from input action and you tap the icon of the action, you will get the pop-up with the explanation. Take a look at the syntax because you can actually put together uh, your own dictionary. So if you want to have a, you know, uh, a list of options, you can actually create a dictionary. Or if you're dealing with the web, the dictionary will come uh, as a JSON, which you can then interpret as a dictionary uh, natively inside workflow. But anyway, once you do have a dictionary, you can pass it to the choose from list action and you will get this super neat combination of keys and values. So you will have a list that shows you in blue with a bigger font, the key of a dictionary and in light gray as a sub-label, the value of a key. So uh, there's you know, no need to do what I used to do uh, months ago. That was, I take the key of a dictionary, and then I search the dictionary for the key, and I manually extract the value. Now I can just pass the dictionary to the choose from list action, and you know, pick an item, and I will get the value as output. And that's it. There's no more need to do conditional blocks, no more you need to actually do search and replace in a dictionary. You can just pass it to the list, choose from the list, and you're done. That's, that's, cool. that's, been, uh, that's been so useful for uh, web APIs. Yeah, I can imagine that saves you a lot of effort in, in trying to get, like somehow build a very detailed search condition that gets you only the information you want. But if you can grab a bunch and then have the user pick from a few um, I have a similar workflow where, which I use for the show notes, I've mentioned it before, where I, I can take the name of an app on the clipboard, search the app store for it, and what my first version of the workflow would do is it would just take the first result and rely on the on the app store's uh, you know, rank ordering to give me the best result, and it would take that URL. And I apologize to all listeners because in the past I have sometimes had the wrong URL, and that's because the, I just chose, I took the first one that came back from the app store. Whereas now what it does is it shows a, a rich list um, of that information and I pick the one because I can see the icon. I know what I'm looking for. Pick the one that I'm looking for and that's a, a much more accurate way to work as well. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I've, been doing, I've been doing rich lists with dictionaries, with apps, with uh, 
so Apple Music results, all kinds of uh, different implementations. You can take advantage of rich lists, and you know it's it, it becomes so much better than what it used to be. And especially after you've been doing workflow uh, automation for a couple of years and getting used to you know the limitations, like lists can only be textual buttons, and now they can be so much more. And it's uh, it's a lot better. And I'm hoping that even more data types will become available for uh, lists. Now, yeah. Fraser, it's a time okay. of the final, the, the very final topic of uh, this series. And I thought it'd be, it'd be nice to conclude with my favorite Apple app, which is Safari. Mm-hmm. And yep. w- what can be done with, with Safari and Workflow? Um, thanks to the Workflow extension, uh, the Action extension, we can inspect data from a Safari web page. And it's possibly one of the strongest advantages of the uh, features of the Safari browser integrated with third-party extensions. So what you can do is, let's say that you're on a web page and you want to select some text. Let's say you're reading an article and you want to select some text and you want to do something with that text. Normally, you would select the text and copy uh, to the clipboard. Um, But because of the limitations of rich text on iOS, uh, you won't end up with with a... appropriate representation of the text you copied on the web page because it won't be rich text. The, the moment you copy that text on a Safari web page, you go paste it somewhere else, you will likely lose the formatting because the iOS clipboard doesn't actually look at the HTML structure of a web page, which I think developers call the DOM Fraser, you're the mm-hmm. expert here. Is it called? <laughs> is it called the DOM? You're putting that a bit strongly, I have to say. And uh, the document object model, the DOM. See? Yeah, that, that's um, uh, what the DOM is. Is in behind, uh, and, and web developers are going to hate what I'm about to say because it's probably not totally correct. But essentially, if you look at the source code of HTML, what you've got is you, you've got a structure which is, is containers within containers. So you have the page, then you have the header and the body, and inside the body you have all various subdivisions of the page. And it's and that is essentially a tree structure because it's a containment structure. And what you're doing there with with, with the document object model is you're kind of uh, walking your way down this tree to get to the the particular bit you want. So you might end up with a, a paragraph tag that has some text in it. And that's the kind of thing that you can identify a little part of the page and extract the information from just that part, ignoring all the other sidebars and headers and navigation parts and scroll pages and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's what the document object model effectively gives you. Is it's the model behind the visual representation of the web page. That said, and you should listen to the expert because, you know, Fraser knows what he's talking about, unlike me. Um, once you select some text, instead of using the, the system clipboard, you should use Workflow if you want to access that text inside of a web page. Luckily, there's a native action to do just that in Workflow. So use the Get Details of Safari web page. It's quite a name, but use it in a Workflow and make sure that the workflow can be used as an action extension. You can tap the gear icon in the workflow and enable it as an action extension. Then, after the get details of Safari web page, drag in, um, for example, a copy to clipboard and then show alert action. And in the show alert action, use the input variable. Um, 
what you can do at this point is you can select some text and with the text selected, run the workflow extension and run the workflow you just created. And you will see that you will get the text that you selected from a web page inside the alert and copy to the clipboard. But we can do we can go a little for, further than this. Um, if you get the text from the web page, and let's say that it's rich text with maybe, I don't know, some links or some bold and italics, for example, you can convert this HTML to markdown. All you need to do is get details of Safari web page, make sure that in the in the menu of this action you select page selection as the variable that you want to extract. After this action, drag in make markdown from rich text and you will see that workflow will get the contents of the web page. It will see the selection. So it will get the selection as HTML and it will make that HTML into markdown plain text and it will keep the links intact. It will convert the lists from HTML unordered lists to markdown lists which are much better to read and it will preserve the bolds and the italics. This is a fantastic way to work with Safari and to work with selections. I use this workflow every single day. All of the linked posts that you see on Mac Stories that quote uh, a bit of an article from someone else, those are put together uh, with Safari, whether it's on the iPhone or on the iPad, with a workflow that ta uses this exact method. It takes a page selection, converts it from rich text to markdown, and then sends the markdown to Ulysses. That's all I do. And you can, you can do a whole bunch of things at this point. Once you have the selection, you can, for example, let's say, I also want to get the name of the author of the original article. Uh, you, you can use the get details of article action, which is separate from the Safari web page, but it also accepts a, a URL as input. So you can do a whole bunch of things to work with Safari data. And it's one of my most used workflows. I mean, I use it every day. It's at the very top of my list. And uh, it's one, of, uh, one more reason to use uh, Safari on iOS, which, which already is an excellent app, but the, wor the integration with workflow is just super. I love it. Very nice, very nice. Can I tell you about one workflow that I did over the holidays, just to yes. wrap up? Yes, I'm too proud of it not to mention it. Okay. <laughs> Bear notes that the app that you put me onto and many of us onto, mm. uh, the new note-taking app, um, has now become my kind of reference book for projects that I have in OmniFocus. And what, what I wanted was I wanted a way that when I set up a new project in OmniFocus, I also want a note in Bear for all my notes about that project. So... What I did was, I, I, based on your input really about X callback URL, I created a workflow where um, it would ask me for the name of the project. And then what it would do is using X callback, it would go away and it would create a new project in OmniFocus uh, with a link to the note in Bear. And then it would create a note in Bear with a link to the project in OmniFocus. Which, so I was really very, very pleased with myself at getting that kind of chicken and egg situation squared away. But because both of those have got URLs, I now have a note that's got the name of the uh, the name of the project, the OmniFocus URL, so I can tap on that in Bear and go straight to the to-do items in OmniFocus. And then in OmniFocus, in the notes section for the, for the project, I've got the URL for Bear. Because Bear note URLs, you can just give the, the title of the note 
as the part of the URL. So you just say bear or whatever, uh, and then the note title. So you know that ahead of time, put that into the project. And then when you create the project, you get a custom OmniFocus URL sent back to you in workflow. And then I set that as the content of the note as well. So that's that was probably my that was my greatest workflow triumph over the holidays was to to build that up so that I now have this kind of like little wiki of projects and project notes inside Bear, uh, which is it's pretty good fun. That's, and all linked that's to cool. the to the that, relevant things in OmniFocus. That's very cool. I love how you're integrating Bear with OmniFocus and Workflow. It's it's quite impressive. Well done. I'll uh, throw the, the link to that in the show notes as well. Nice. Nice. Well, Fraser, I think after a couple of months, that's mm-hmm. it. We're done. There's nothing left to say. We have said all the things that are to say about, <laughs> about workflow. <laughs> we, we have said all of the things. I mean, we haven't covered every single aspect of workflow, but I think no. we, what we wanted to achieve with this series was to provide a foundation for people to understand workflow and to start making their own stuff, to start making their own automations and to understand what can be done. Because we cannot possibly cover every single action or every single possibility. But we wanted to have a a getting started guide that went from the basics to the advanced topics to let people understand workflow and understand the potential and I hope that we covered that potential from the, you know, how variables work to debugging and the DOM of a Safari web page. So I think there's a whole range of topics that we covered. And I truly hope that it can be useful to people. You will be able to find, uh, I mean, we should put links to every single episode in the show notes. I think it will be useful for people who just discovered Canvas or just yep. discovered this final episode to go back and start from the first one. And again, I hope it's going to be useful. And now we're going to resume our traditional Canvas programming and return talking about, you know, uh, working on iOS, working on the iPad, um, what can be done in general, uh, always with a with a focus on automation. And, you know, because it it's what I do, it's what I love. But uh, I hope this series can be useful to to everyone. Absolutely. So feel free to get in touch with us on Twitter. The, the show is underscore Canvas FM. I'm Fraser Spears on Twitter, Federico Svetici. And if you have any areas of iOS productivity, any kinds of apps that you'd like us to discuss or cover, uh, we'd, we'd love to hear your ideas because we have poured all of our ideas into this series and we're looking for some new things that people want to know about. So get on get on to us on Twitter and let us know and we'll be back with you in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs>